back to range anxiety. There's a little bit of all summer long from Kid Rock. And it's bloody hot here today. It's in the middle of summer. Getting a little bit ahead of myself over summer break. And it's hot to all my US listeners out there. It's 100. It's three digits in freedom units. 100F. Yeah, and it's, which means it's high 30s, which is normal for summer in South Australia, I suppose. And doesn't it bring out the best in cars, or in fact, uh, the worst in cars. It's it's just, thankfully it's something that's about to go down the gurgler pretty soon, but cooling systems and I, with conventional cars, have always had a love-hate relationship, and it goes, and well, they actually have with, with pretty much everybody, whether they know it or not. Cooling systems are one of the biggest weaknesses of an internal combustion car. They make so much bloody heat, and they have to be cooled so uh, accurately and, and desperately well, or they just crap themselves, yeah, that, that everyone has a love-hate relationship, whether they like it or not. I spent a bit of my career in the automotive game learning about cooling systems and how they work properly, rather than just like, yep, put a bigger fan on it, or whatever. <clears throat> that shit just doesn't work. It all goes back to when I was a tiny kid, and uh, my dad had a brand new Triumph Stag, you know, three litre sort of two dolomite four cylinder V8, you know, stitched together thing and Triumph, you know, shag, like target top thing. And yeah, it was pretty cool. It went all right, you know, for a three litre V8. And I reckon I made it all of about, you know, 140 horsepower or something equally stunning like that. But as soon as the Mercury topped over about 25C, you know, which is pretty easy to do here in South Australia. In fact, like half of the year, the thing would just cook itself. It would just overheat. Its cooling system just wasn't up to being driven in Australia. And that was the first sort of inkling I had as a kid that, hmm, maybe cooling systems on a lot of cars are shit. They are. And, you know, I kind of went from there to, with my oldest brother. He was big into, like, high-performance minis, you know, A-series and... My mate Mark Tilbrook was into them and, and they had their little, being transverse, they had the radiator on the side and they were just horrific things to keep cool in um, on really hot days, you know. And it's like the things that run at 80 degrees C when the temperature was 20 degrees C but change the temperature to 30 C, like another 10 ambient, and I'd be over 100, you know. It was just, there was just some witchcraft that went on with pommy cars that, me that meant they could never cool, you know, like they just... They just couldn't. <laughs> and, you know, as people tried to fix them and improve them, rarely did they ever, you know, because um, a lot of the problems, you know, and a lot of the problems were more inherent than just a radiator placement or, or displacement. A lot of the problems were inherent in the total design. And add to that, and here's my fact, here's my factoid, my bit of information for the day, the aftermarket knows absolutely zero in most all instances knows absolutely zero about how to call something other than uh, the simple guesstimate and i'm going to start driving now yes this is a ride along we can drive a telstra in 100f and i would hope so too these things just run cold as ice get it that's a double entendre besides ain't cold uh, it's sitting there cooking on the side of the road. But yeah, all the aftermarket knows, uh, the automotive aftermarket in a lot of ways is like the porn industry. 
all I know or think they know is that bigger is better. And not often is that actually true. More often the case is that bigger just means you're stupid and you don't know what you're talking about. So let's have a look at some of the things. You know, while the Pommy cars were the worst, Japanese cars kind of sold overheating. All my old Aussie shit would overheat too. Like, you know, you'd pump a, an old HR Holden or HD up Wollonga Hill on a hot day, three on the tree, lugging it up there in third gear. The thing would go off the clock. Now, that, that was probably because it was, you know, 20 years old when I had it enough rooted anyway. But they never, they were only very marginal on their cooling systems. And then all of a sudden, Jap cars arrived. And oh shit, they never overheated. Wow, this is amazing. And most American cars, I'll give their yank stuff their dues. Most American cars didn't overheat till they were actually messed with by dickheads that didn't know what they were doing. You know, the Yanks did a lot of testing in Death Valley, Nevada, and, you know, all sorts of hot proving grounds like that. But the Poms just, you know, were too myopic and just too broke, probably, or couldn't care enough about to, to ever go to. So, you know, it, interesting stuff. But the Japs cured it. And from that point on, I looked at it and I thought, well, if the Japanese can make a car that doesn't overheat, and it goes reasonably well. I mean, you know, we're, we're not, the Japanese weren't making performance cars back then like, like you know, like GDRs and stuff. I'm talking about dirty old Coronas and, and you know, fair four-wheeled refuse piles like that, old Corollas, you know. But they, you could drive them. And providing there was water in the radiator and the radiator didn't have a hole in it, you could get wherever you go no matter what the temperature was. And it was a revelation. Now, Jap cars worked perfectly till people started modifying them. Now, back in the day, when all of these old piles of junk, that OC 1600s, you know, all of that stuff was still fairly recentish, people weren't able to make enough power out of them to cause them to overheat, you know, not really. Like, people were uh, porting and polishing. Oh, God, I'll go through that one day with a load of shit, that is. Porting and polishing cylinder heads and putting, you know, twin side draft DCOE Webbers and Delordos and Solexes and things on them. And they were making more power. You know, they were making 30% more power. In some cases, 40% more power. But they weren't really overheating, even on the stock components, because they simply had that much of a margin for additional cooling in them. Now, I'm getting peppered. I'm parking under a tram, getting peppered with gum nuts. Let's move to somewhere a little bit shadier. But they had the margin left in them to cool which the pommy stuff didn't so you know normally aspirated you know you could do whatever you wanted to the jap stuff and it would still stay pretty cool within reason it was only when you could buy turbochargers from wrecking yards that it all started to get just a tad out of hand and it's once you got the japanese car making a you know 70 percent 80 percent more power and then proceeded to block the radiator yeah that's right block the radiator with stupid bloody huge intercoolers and oil coolers and the like, that's when shit started to go wrong and that's when they started to cook. So, you know, I've been around cooling and improving cooling on cars for a long time and there are certain things you don't do. Like the very biggest thing that makes any car, any, you know, ice car overheat, particularly turbocharged ones, is one they make a shitload of temp under the bonnet. But that's that's nothing, you know. If it's an aftermarket turbocharged car, the turbocharger placement is generally horse shit. Um, 
and the shielding isn't well thought out and the ducting definitely isn't well thought out. In fact, not anything other than hopefully not setting it on fire instantly is well thought out and even then sometimes not. Um, the temperature under the bonnet isn't what's doing it. What always seems to happen is that people put big intercoolers in front, directly in front of a radiator. And then of course, because you know, unless they're a high quality item and a properly designed item, right? Properly designed core, not just stuff that you buy for its pure mass and size of wish or similar. Um, who knows what airflow characteristic it has? I mean, you know, believe it or not, there are actually dynos or wind tunnels for cooling system cores, whether they be intercoolers or radiators or whatever. And the smart plonkers use them, right? Yeah, that is correct. The smart guys use them and have data, data, whatever you want to call it, tomato, tomato, for, you know, these cores that they're selling. But the cheap shit you buy, you know, the Chinese crap, it's a couple of hundred bucks and just sometimes it's rebadged at seven or eight hundred bucks because it's got like, you know, some English name printed on the silicon so all of a sudden it's high quality. Um, there's no data there. It's all just a guesstimate. It's all just suck it and see. So all of a sudden you've got this great, you know, your intake, your intake temps have gone on your turbocharged shit box. They've gone from, you know, 70C on the stock little cooler to 40C or 30C, you know, only 10, 15 above ambient, you're kicking goals by the engine ball straight away. Oh, and then you think I'm making that much power with my new intercooler that the oil temp's skyrocketing as well. Oh, hmm. And that's where we get what I like to call the menage a trois, the inherent and incredible threesome. The threesome that haunts so many people for so long when it comes to performance cars and so few understand or get right when it comes to modifications. The good old threesome. So what is the threesome? It's not, you know... Two hot chicks and a dude. Sorry to, you know, this is a family show. What it is, or maybe two hot dudes and a chick, but what it is, is it's oil, water, air. All three of those things are the three that control each other. What I'm trying to say here is that when oil temperature gets out of control, coolant temperature gets out of control. When coolant temperature gets out of control, air inlet temperature gets out of control. When air inlet temperature gets out of control, water temperature gets out of control. You can't fix one without fixing the others. Now, not a lot of people understand where it is that they should be looking either, which is the next big conundrum that we come across with building a, a professional performance cooling system. First thing you've got to look at, if it's all kicked off, it normally all starts with a front mount intercooler. People get in there with some big Chinese sack of shit, cut, dremel, slice, sawzall, the front end off their car, jam this big core in right in front of the radiator, and all of a sudden, it, you know, driven hard on the track, it overheats. So you go, ah, well, you know, you need a bigger radiator. Well, the first thing they've done wrong is that by cutting all of the front structure of the car away to fit a bigger intercooler in there, you removed all of the proper ducting from the vehicle. All of the ducting is gone. Any good intercooler system that you buy comes with duct work. Ah, 
I'm thinking Process West, who I work for, or do some work for as a consultant, for example. You buy a bigger top mount, guess what it comes with? A new ductwork. Well, surprising me. Then, you know, you buy a, uh, some of the big, uh, big name brand Japanese, there's a road router. Listen to that, petrol road router. I hope that guy's rich. Um, so yeah, big petrol road router. Someone is just waving at me through the window that it's seen me and he, I don't know if he's waiting to talk to me. No, yes, no, he isn't. So some of the big Japanese name brand kits, they come with, uh, uh, for R35, sorry, I was distracted then. They come with uh, ducting. Like I know the circuit spec HKS intercooler of the R35 comes with some pretty cool carbon ducting to replace what you take out of the car, also to improve the efficiency of the intercooler, but to let air into the radiators as well. Oh, surprise, surprise. And of course, that's why it's called circuit spec, because it works on a circuit. So the first thing that happens, I'm gonna go, go through the bad things. We all know what the good things are. The good things are to use your brain, use professional quality parts, and maybe go and do a couple of courses in engineering. But here's the bad things that go wrong. Cheap ass intercooler, right? Big lump of cheap shit just sits there, uh, removes the ducting, blocks your radiator. So the next thing they do is rather than fix a ducting, because remember air is like sheep. You direct it where you want to go, you give it a gate in and a gate out. Everyone gives it a gate in and then just goes, Pff. I don't care where you find the way out. And guess what it doesn't do? Find its way out. So the next thing, I'm just having a great ramble here, because I'm frustrated with all of this crap and today is hot. So the next thing uh, uh, they do is they buy a big, thicker radiator. And guess what happens? it just takes longer for the car to overheat because all of the bigger radiator, all of the bigger water reservoir, all that does for us, the additional capacity, is give us more of a heat sink to overheat before it runs out of shedding capability because you place placed a big stupid intercooler with no ductwork in front of it. So then they think it must be the fan. Now, in my lifetime, you know, I've been around a few actual race cars, a few wannabe race cars, and a few well, real shit boxes. Nothing makes me feel more ill than removing a viscous hub clutch fan off an engine. I know that don't sound good, and I know that after 40 years they can wear out and you might have to replace the viscous hub, you know. You know, they designed it as it gets hotter to put more drive to the fan to, for more cooling air, and when it's dead cold, to hardly put any torque on the fan at all. It's a great idea, and they've got a little gel set up inside them and stuff, little cartridge, and it works really, really, really well. But people look at that, they look at a mechanical fan and go, that shit, and throw it in the bin and replace it with a, my biggest enemy of all time, the thermo fan. It's, what, it's like a thermo mix, but worse. What does the thermo fan do? Well, aftermarket thermofans, when applied to a radiator, you know, they're electric. They're not connected to the engine. You know what they do? Absolutely nothing and cause your car to overheat. In 99% of cases. But hang on, you lift the bonnet on your, your, your AMG or your new Toyota or even your Telstra for that matter. Tesla, Tesla, stop it, Uncle Tone, Tesla. And they all use thermofans. Yeah, you know why? And they look nothing like the ones that you can actually buy in the shop, do they? Have a good look at them. Uh, they've got this, well, for a start, they've got proper aerodynamically designed blade sets, a proper fin count that decides, or blade count that is decided by a team of engineers. 
uh, not someone drawing a picture and uh, you know other side of the world and more than that they have a proper shrouding like proper shrouding proper air direction air in air out the aftermarket th oh, sorry the OEM original equipment manufacturer thermofan it has it all and yeah the aftermarket stuff normally doesn't that's why there was, I think, in our little group, you know, people with drift cars and had to put thermos on because that absolutely perfect clutch fan was working too well for them and they had to see if they could try and, you know, screw their car up somehow. A lot of them used a generic Ford uh, properly shrouded fan set that was a thermo fan off an AU Falcon, you know. An AU Falcon is probably one of the best cars ever built. It's uglier than a cockroach, but almost as hard to kill. So, <laughs> so yeah, the AU Falcon fan set became quite popular for a while. And you know what? It actually did a pretty reasonable job. Yeah, that's cool. And the last, you know, member of the cooling fraternity here. So remember, do not take off your thermo fan. If you're going for an aftermarket radiator, these are the rules we've got so far. Make sure it's one from a quality manufacturer, and even better, maybe has a, some a data or data with it. Same with your intercooler kit. Make sure it has some sort of ducting and a shroud, or you are throwing good money down the bin and down the drain. In and the last part of the whole equation, of course, is uh, the oil cooler. Keeping the oil cool is very, very important because the water cools the block and the cylinder head and the block channels that are directly in contact with the oil. So by all means, a professional grade name brand, not a piece of shit that you got for 80 bucks, a proper oil cooler will properly cool the oil. And that's what you need to get last but not least. But whatever you do, use your brain where you mount it and locate it, do not stick it in front of the intercooler, which is in front of the condenser, which is in front of the radiator. You know, maybe try and give some of these things if you can. I mean, it's, it's hard with a front mount intercooler to supply a clean air path, but maybe in the case of the oil cooler, you can provide a clear air path, i.e. such as uh like a knacker duct laying flat almost under the car obviously where it can't be hit with anything there are all sorts of places you can mount an oil cooler but just to most people it only makes sense when it's blocking off the airflow to the radiator you know because that's what most people do they're pretty stupid now as you can tie all of these things together you'll end up with a result that works. It doesn't have to be the biggest, fattest intercooler, the biggest, fattest radiator, the biggest, fattest oil cooler. It just has to be stuff correctly placed and correctly engineered. And you will get a cooling system that, you know, will handle another 50% duty over over the, the whatever the factory system was specified for, you know. But the point is, improving cooling systems is uh, really, really hard making them shit but making them look shinier is really 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 easy such as you know i designed a radiator for tesla model 3x sorry 3y and x and s coming but i designed a coolant radiator for these cars because you know the, the coolant 
runs around all sorts of things. So the power unit, the batteries, have got a very complex but very clever cooling system with eight-way octo-valve in the front, or in the older version like mine, a super bottle with electronically controlled valves. But when the system's under duress, when the system is under stress on a racetrack and it needs all the cooling capacity it can, it diverts most of the coolant straight through the radiator at the front and that's responsible for cooling the batteries and you know whatever and that keeps the power levels up which is super kind of important right so i wanted straight fit no blocking of anything it's only a tiny little radiator in a tesla anyway well on, on three and why it is um I wanted straight fit, straight fit connections, but I, and I wanted it to go, I wanted the standard thermo fans, well, surprise, surprise, I wanted the standard thermo fan arrangement to clip straight onto it and all of the ducting to be there. So it was a hell of a job because everything's packed quite tightly in the nose. It's only a small area. So to do it, I realized rather than making some big fat sack of rubbish that goes in there that requires all the body and the shrouding to be cut up, I might go and see an OEM and have a look at what core they can offer me that's an improvement over the core that was in the Tesla. And it wasn't easy. Tesla have, have, do, have done a very, very good job. We are able to dimensionally change the system a little. We are able to be a tiny bit wider and a tiny bit thicker. We are able to change the fin count um, because we had no extraneous cooling requirement on the back side of it. So hard to explain but if you've seen the front of one the air comes in and out of the radiator so you know we're not blowing it through an engine bay or, a, or you know anything else it's, it's it's quite a clever setup um and we were able with careful calculation and a little bit of wind tunnel testing because this company has a wind tunnel they were able to validate an eight percent cooling improvement with this clip-in radiator all on paper, of course, um, but all, you know, validated by an OEM. So I'd be surprised if it wasn't closer to 10%. But this took eight months and cost around $15,000 Australian to come up with a prototype and cover the testing and time and various interstate plane trips. And, you know, well, that was, luckily it was just before COVID hit, we started. That's a long, it's been in the works. And... You know, had I been Greta and been able to travel back through time on my Hillary Lizard, I probably would have done things a little differently. But what we ended up with is a very expensive but actual capable result that you can put into a car. It's not going to leak. It's not made of shit. And it's actually going to work and you don't have to cut the car up. So, you know, that's, could we have done bigger and better and have people done bigger and better? Yes, they have for Tesla Model 3s. And they take a sawzall to the front end of the car and screw the whole thing up. I'm not really that interested in doing that to cars anymore. I want stuff that plugs in, works, improves, and works for the lifetime of the car without pissing its pants all over the floor. And that's how Tesla Ad um, was developed. Obviously, they've done a bit of testing now overseas, and yeah, it seems to work a treat. You know, the car stays about, you know, has about 10% more thermal capacity. So be it. Um, that's what we aim to do, and that's what we did do. So I hope you've enjoyed what we've been talking about with cooling systems. It's a hot day, so it was the first thing that came to mind. And I've been driving up in the hills a lot over the holidays, and I've seen a lot of broken down shit boxes on the side of the road, you know, pissing their pants because they overheat. Oh yeah, just before I go, people's wondering what sort of coolant temps, you know, we see in a Tesla before things get critical, around 60C. Normally most of the time, depending on the ambience, of course, but a rough guide is 
they run under half of what an ice car will run at. So yeah, that, that's interesting. But yeah, like I said, it, it's tough weather on cooling systems. It's a tough time. But, you know, I'm kind of enjoying it. And I thought I might give you some of that, the little bits of knowledge I have about um, cooling systems. So if you, you know, want to call me a dickhead and tell me I'm wrong, feel free or don't uh, to send me an email to dtech, D-T-E-C-H, at essenet.com.au. And thank you for listening to Range Anxiety.